good to be in the house of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Um, I hope you all are enjoying uh, our series, uh, The Awe of God, the book by John Bevere. It's all about having a holy fear of the Lord. Um, I was not supposed to be up this week. I was supposed to be up next week, but Pastor Steve was not feeling well. So we're kind of jumping ahead in the book if you've got it or been reading it. So we'll jump back to uh, the other part when Steve's here next week. Now, you, uh, you heard Steve say when he got up here the very first uh, sermon in the series, and he said, this book messed me up in a good way. And you know, I got to thinking... We should be willing to let the Lord mess us up a little bit in a good way. Because I've said it the last two times I've been up here, I think we have a problem, especially in the American church, it's that we're too comfortable. We don't like to get messed up. But when the Lord messes us up in a good way, it's always for the best. You heard Bill say last week when he was prepping on his stuff how he was heavily convicted by the stuff that's in this book, it's been the same for me. None of us can walk out of here today if we are gut-level honest with ourselves and say, I do, I do that perfectly. And if you think you do, then start your own religion because there's only, only been one person that's ever done it perfectly, and that's Jesus Christ. None of us will serve him perfectly None of us will obey him perfectly. We all have areas where we can get better. We all have areas where we've got some blinders on. But we need to say, Lord, I'm, I'm willing to simply just be the clay. I'm not the potter. You're the potter. And if you've ever watched a potter with the clay, as that clay spins on that wheel and that potter forms it, with their hands, there's not an area of clay that is not touched. And so many times we want to go, nope, you can't touch that part. You can have that part. We need to be willing to let him touch every area of our lives. So I'm just asking you today, have an open heart, have an open mind, and maybe let the Lord mess you up just a little bit in a good way today. Let's pray. Well, Father, thank you so much for your word. Your word is prosperous. It brings us life. And Lord, help us today to understand more what it means to tremble at your word. And Lord, be with Steve today. Raise him up to complete health in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Well, turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 66. We got one verse today. That's it. That's our key verse for the entire day. It's Isaiah 66, 2. I'm going to start in verse 1, but we're looking at verse 2. Starting in verse 1, it says, Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me and what is my resting place? All these things my hands have made. And so all these things are mine, says the Lord. And here's our key verse for the day. But this is the one to whom I will look. 
to the humble and contrite in spirit who trembles at my word. Now, to understand what's going on in Isaiah 66, you got to read Isaiah 65. We don't have time to read Isaiah 65 today, so you go home and read Isaiah 65 for yourself. Now, when you look at Isaiah 65, the first part of that chapter is rough, but the second half of the chapter brings great hope. Now, in the first part of the chapter, speaks of God as one who is ready to be sought, ready to be found. Scripture actually says that here I am, I hold my hands out all day long. But unfortunately, God's chosen people, the Jews, they do not seek. They don't ask. They don't call on his name. Scripture says they are a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good following their own devices. They've turned their backs on the Lord. And Scripture actually says they continually provoke God to his face with the way that they're conducting their lives. And Scripture says to the Lord, it's like smoke that burns in his nostrils all day long. It's not pleasing to him. And listen to what he says. He says, I will not keep silent, but I will repay. I will indeed repay into their laps their iniquities and their ancestors' iniquities together. Yikes. Now, that's the first half. But the latter part of the chapter speaks of great hope for those who will serve him. Because it says one day there's going to be a new heaven. There's going to be a new earth. The former things won't be remembered anymore. They won't come to mind. There, there'll be no more weeping. No more cries of distress. Eight verses from 17 to 25 speak of wonderful rejoicing, delights, and blessings that will one day come for those who serve the Lord. It's the hope that we look to. But unfortunately... Most of the world today, and many believers, live in the first part of chapter 65. And what they've done is we're attempting to develop and maintain a relationship with God on our own terms. We're the ones that set the terms and conditions of this relationship, not you, Lord. And it says the Lord... It's like smoke in his nostrils. And all that really is is half-hearted service, half-hearted worship, and half-hearted obedience. Living under the assumption that somehow this kind of life is appeasing to God. It is nothing but offensive to him. Now the Lord tells us in our key verse, chapter 66, verse 2, what's required for an authentic relationship with him. It says, but this is the one to whom I will look. Your version might say this is the one that I will bless, but look is actually a better translation. It's the Hebrew word nabat, which means to look, to watch, to regard, 
to be intently focused on something. So the Lord is saying, if you have these three qualities in your life, I'm going to pay close, close attention to you. And I want the Lord to pay close attention to me. I want him to turn his face toward me, not turn his face away from me. He says, if you have humility, if you have a contrite heart or spirit, and the main one that we're going to look at today, if you tremble at his word. Now briefly, let's look at the first two qualities. Humility. What's humility? Humility is a low view of your own interests. It's not about what's important to me. It's about what's important to the Lord, and it's about what He wants, not what I want. And a contrite heart or spirit can actually be translated as crushed, crippled, broken. And a lot of people don't like that. I don't like those words. I don't want to think about being crushed or crippled or broken. But when we're broken before the Lord... We recognize our own sinfulness and our need for a Savior. And we're humble and we're teachable and we're fully surrendered over to the Lord. Now, the main one that we're going to talk about today is trembling at His Word. Well, what does, what does that mean? And the best way that I can sum it up is that we exalt what He says above everything else. Nothing is more important. God's word is the standard for our lives. It's the authority over our lives. And how well we obey his word is the evidence in our lives if we possess a holy fear of the Lord. So really, this whole sermon could be summed up with one word, obedience, which was actually my word for last year was obedience. And my scripture was a story that we're going to talk about a little bit later on. Paul says in Philippians 2.12, Therefore, my beloved, just as, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, enabling both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Paul's words are always obeyed. That is an unconditional statement. It's not based on your feelings. It means you obey whether you feel his presence or you don't. It means you obey whether you see him working in your life or you don't. It means you obey whether your prayers are being answered in your time frame or not. It's easy to obey when everything's going great. But if you tremble at his word, you will obey no matter what the circumstances. Because there's no greater precedence. There's nothing of greater importance than what he says. We exalt what he says above everything else. Scripture says, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights in his commandments. Psalm 112.1, do you delight in his commandments? Do you tremble at his word? Do you obey and exalt what he says above everything else? Now, when it comes to obedience, there's four truths 
Number one, God knows what is right for me. I don't know what's right for me. I'm going to mess it up. He knows what's right for me. Number two, God is pure love and I'm to focus on his love. Because no matter what he asks you to do, even the hard stuff, it's because he loves you. It's always out of love. Number three, he's never going to tell me to do anything that's detrimental because what he says always ends up best. He is a good father, and he only knows how to give good gifts to his children. He can't change his character. And number four, and this is a choice, therefore, I choose no matter what he says, I'm going to obey and I'm going to obey gladly. We are to serve the Lord out of joy and gladness. Listen to what Deuteronomy 28, 47 through, or 47 through 48 says. This is a warning because you did not serve the Lord your God joyfully and with gladness of heart for the abundance of everything. Therefore, you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst, in nakedness, and lack of everything. He will put an iron yoke around your neck until he has destroyed you. Paul says that there were five sins that got the Israelites in trouble. Number one, craving evil things. Well, that makes sense. You shouldn't crave evil things. Duh. Number two, idol worship. Well, yeah. Number three, sexual immorality. Well, we know that's wrong. Testing God. Yeah, have, don't put your Lord God to the test. Complaining. What? Yeah. Complaining. 1 Corinthians 10, 6 through 10. Now these things occurred as examples for us so that we might not, one, desire evil as they did, Two, do not become idolaters as some of them did, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. We must not, three, indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. Four, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. And five, and do not complain as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. We are to serve and obey the Lord with joy and gladness. Because, folks, complaining is the antithesis of holy fear. There's nothing more important or beneficial than obedience. Now, one of the things that the book does so well is at the end of each little section... It has a scripture, it has a prayer, and, but it, it has a, a pondering point. So I'm going to give you a point to ponder. And here's your point to ponder. Do I obey when conditions are only favorable? Do I tend to complain when it's not going my way? And remember, this is a choice. How can I maintain an attitude of joy and gladness at all times? Now, today... We're going to look at five aspects of trembling at God's word, obeying God's word. And number one, 
is we obey God immediately. Nike, just do it, baby. Don't delay. When we fear the Lord, when we tremble at His word, our own interests are secondary. What's important to God is the priority. Now, this guy in the background, Eli, he was Israel's priest. And he had two wicked sons. They were adulterers. They took offerings by force. And Eli delayed in dealing with his son's wickedness. And listen to what the Lord's response was. This is in 1 Samuel 2, 28 through 29. Why do you give your sons more honor than you give me? I will honor those who honor me and will despise those who think lightly of me. We think lightly of God's word when we delay or neglect his word. And scripture says the Lord despises it. Because basically what you're saying is, Lord, it doesn't matter what you think. What I think is more important. Because I'm the one that sets the terms and conditions. And somehow we think that's appeasing to God. And it's not. He despises it. The church in Ephesus, book of Revelation, Jesus says, Repent and do the first works, or else I will come quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now, to repent means to change the way you think, but then you actually have to do something. You have to act. You change the way you think. You turn, start walking the other direction so that you come in line with God's word. If the church in Ephesus did not act quickly, if they delayed, their lampstand was going to be removed and they would miss out on an opportunity of blessing. And you know what? We get really good at delay. We get really good at making excuses. Well, I have to attend this thing and this thing and that thing. Well, I have these responsibilities. I'm just waiting for everything to line up. And you know what? We, we all have responsibilities. We all have jobs, kids, spouses, school, ministry responsibilities. And all these things are good and they're important. They're not sinful things. Here's another one. You know, God's been really dealing with me about this for a while now. I know the Lord's been speaking to me about this. I just haven't done anything about it yet. I felt in my spirit that he's been wanting me to do dot, 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 fill in the blank. I just need to pray about it a little longer. And listen to this. And this one got me big time. When what is not sin takes precedence over the word of the Lord, it becomes sin. When what is not sin takes precedence over the word of the Lord, it becomes sin. Delay is lack of holy fear point to ponder. It's possible that seemingly harmless things, good things, not sinful things, can detour us from fulfilling God's, fulfilling God's word. And I just said this, when sin, that which is not sin, takes precedence over the word of the Lord, it becomes sin. And here's the question, is have I allowed myself to become distracted by personal interest, by doing this or that, I, think, I just got to pray about it longer. Whatever it is, and therefore you have delayed 
in your obedience. Point number two, you obey God even if it doesn't make sense. Because you know what? If you walk with the Lord long enough, what's the Holy Spirit going to do? He's going to ask you to do something that doesn't make any sense. You want me to go where? That doesn't make any sense. You want me to talk to who? Nobody talks to that person. You're going to talk to that person. What? Yeah, you. Did it make sense to walk around towering and fortified walls of a city quietly for six days, and then on the seventh day, do the same thing seven more times, and then finally blow horns and shout? That makes no sense. But this council saw the walls come tumbling down. Did it make any earthly sense to put water into wine containers when what was needed was wine at the wedding? It makes no sense. But that council gave the best wine of the entire wedding. Does it make sense to forgive those that hurt you? Shouldn't they pay? Does it make sense to love those who hate you? Shouldn't they be treated in the same manner? Does it make sense to do good to those who have mistreated you? Shouldn't I be able to get even with them? It doesn't make sense. But we're told, trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding. Seek Him, acknowledge Him, and He'll show you which path to take. He'll make your path straight. Remember truth number one, God knows what's right for me. And the Lord's wisdom far exceeds our own. But here's a problem. When things don't seem logical, it sways us away from obedience. But the person who fears the Lord, who trembles as at his word, obeys even when it doesn't make sense sense. And I love this. His wisdom always is confirmed by results. I love this. Wisdom is shown to be right by its results. Matthew eleven nineteen. And we should all be like Peter. I love this scene in Chosen, season one. And Peter was by no means a perfect man, praise the Lord. This, this happens in Luke chapter five. Peter had been out all night fishing. He toiled. He was tired. He was frustrated. He was probably hungry. And he was a master fisherman. I'm sure he tied every knot, did everything to the nets that he knew how to do, went to every fishing hole, and what was his yield? Zero. Big fat goose egg, no fish. Jesus is on the shore and says, can I come in your boat and preach? And then later on he says, cast out to deeper water one more time and throw over your nets. What do you think Peter was thinking? Dude, what are you talking about? I'm the expert fisherman. They're, they're not biting, dude. This makes no sense what you're asking me to do. But I love his response. He says, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing, but if you say so. Lord, I don't know what you're asking me to do. It doesn't make any sense, but if you say so, I'll do it. Lord, it doesn't make any sense that you want me to move here, but I'll do it if you say so. It doesn't make any sense that you want me to talk to this person, but I'll do it if you say so. 
You want me to quit my job and go do it? It doesn't make any sense, but I'll do it if you say so. And the result was a blessing of two huge boatloads of fish. Point to ponder. Do I have trouble in trusting in God's wisdom? In the past, have I second-guessed his counsel and fallen back on what seems logical to me? Now, what would happen if I looked to God for direction and actually trusted and obeyed? Point number three, and this is a tough one. Obey God even if I don't see any personal benefit. Unfortunately, most people only want to obey well, what's in it for me? What am I going to get? And lots of times, especially with believers, it's hard to get them interested in obedience unless the reward, the benefits are emphasized. Well, if you're always obedient, you're going to get lots of money. If you're obedient, you're going to be blessed with lots of stuff. Here's one. If you're obedient, you're never going to get sick a day in your life. If you're obedient, your life is going to be a bed of roses. I'm sorry, friends, that's not the truth. And here's a question. And really this question, I think, is it's directed at the leadership of the church, but it's really for everyone. Is have we strayed away from confrontational truth to accommodate the trend of obedience with benefits? And unfortunately, I think the answer is yes. Now, it's not everywhere. And I don't believe it's here at Church of the Savior. But in, especially on Facebook, Facebook can be good, but we need to be in the good book more than Facebook. But I see it all the time on Facebook, especially these celebrity pastors. Ministers of the Word are succumbing to the pressure of gratifying itching ears. Telling people what they want to hear. Instead of preaching the full counsel of God and out of love, full of grace, full of truth, and in all love, but telling people, folks, we have to deny ourselves. We have to die to self and we have to pick up our cross and follow Jesus. Paul says it in 2 Timothy 4 verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine but have itching ears. They will accumulate, choosing and picking, for themselves teachers to suit their own desires and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander away to myths. Folks, wandering away from God's wisdom and truth is the worst thing that we can do. The psalm says there's great reward for those who keep his word. Now, that does not mean that we are solely motivated because there is reward. Because if that's our motivation, selfishness, pride, personal gain starts to creep in and that moves to the forefront. And when pride and selfishness and what's in it for me starts to become the motivation we start to think we're the ones sitting in the big chair. 
I've said it up here. Steve said it a couple weeks ago. In everybody's life, there is a throne. And if Christ isn't on the throne, you're on the throne. When self is on the throne, Christ is on the cross. When Christ is on the throne, we are crucified. Now, this is why the fear of the Lord and trembling at His word, obedience to His word is so crucial, because it motivates obedience whether we see any reward or not. And if you want some reward, if you want some incentive to be obedient, how about this? He saved your little tookus from hell. What more do you need? Probably the best example. Now, even though you don't hear the name of the Lord mentioned at all in this book, but it's Queen Esther. Queen Esther is the, per- the queen of Persia. She's a Jew married to the most powerful man on the earth. She has everything that she could dream of. There's a high-ranking official named Haman who gets offended by Esther's cousin Mordecai, and Haman decides, I'm not just going to punish him, but I'm going to punish all the Jewish people. And Mordecai goes to Esther and says, you need to try and gain an audience in front of the king to help our people. And Esther says, even though I'm the queen, I can't just go in front of the king. Because if I go in front of the king and I'm not invited, I could lose my life. But I love her response. She says, and then, though it is against the law, I will go and see the king. If I must die, I must die. Holy fear motivated her to put God's kingdom before her own welfare. Everything that she had, even her own life, was in jeopardy. There was nothing good in it for her. But what was most important to God was most important to her point to ponder Matthew 16 25 for those who try to save their life will lose it and those who lose their life for my sake will find it and I'll admit I did this up until this point I always looked at that verse in extreme circumstances like like martyrdom but do we apply it to the small everyday decisions that we have to make in our life point number four this is another tough one Obey God even if it's painful. Because there is a conflict between obedience and self-preservation. It's hard enough to obey without delay. It's hard enough to obey when it doesn't make sense. It's hard enough to obey when we don't see anything in it for us. But when it may possibly hurt us, that's where most people draw the line. Not doing it. And who, who's our example to live by? Jesus Christ. I love this photo. This hangs up in the little entryway. This was given to me. I don't know how long this has been in our family. It was given to me by my mother uh, for Sarah and I's wedding. But it reminds me that Jesus is my example and that he's always praying for me. He's always interceding for me. But he's our example Jesus gave up all the privileges of heaven, humbled himself in obedience to God, and died a criminal's death on a cross. And he did it willingly. 
even though he knew tremendous suffering was going to take place. The night before his crucifixion in the Garden of Gethsemane, he pleaded, Father, if it's possible, take this cup away from me, but not my will be done. Yours be done. He knew the horrific suffering of the cross that was ahead. But he went to that cursed tree out of obedience. And what motivated this kind of obedience? Hebrews 5, 7 through 8 tells us, While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was the son, learned obedience from what he suffered. Deep holy fear, holy reverence empowered Jesus to face and endure what human nature would run away from. Folks, we're told that in this life we will have trouble. But take courage because he's conquered the world. And our jobs as believers is simply to obey Knowing that we live in a fallen, sinful world, there will be resistance, and unfortunately, it's the truth, oftentimes that resistance will result in suffering. Physical suffering, mental suffering, financial suffering, emotional suffering, and it's all very real. But we're given the mind of Christ, and we are to arm ourselves with that same mind. Peter tells us, since Christ suffered in the flesh, we should arm ourselves with the same mind. Can you imagine going into battle without implements of war, the proper tools? You wouldn't stand a chance. And the reality is we have to be prepared for suffering if we're going to follow and obey Christ. But many believers are not prepared. It's the fear of the Lord that arms us for battle. It maintains a deep resolve in our will to obey God no matter what suffering may come. All the heroes of the kingdom experienced great victories through their faith, but in their obedience, they were mocked, they were chained, they were tortured, abused, imprisoned, wandered in the desert, lived in caves, and many other painful circumstances, and the same thing will happen to us Because we live in a fallen world and it is hostile to the kingdom of God. But do you know what every single one of them had in common? Out of holy fear, they refused to turn from obedience even if it hurt. And here's a wonderful promise in the Psalms. Psalm 126, 5 through 6 says, May those who sow or plant with tears reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy as they return with the harvest. There will be a harvest of joy if you're obedient to the Lord. Point to ponder. Have I bypassed obedience to God's word for the sake of my own self-preservation? But will I choose to love and gladly obey even if it costs me financially, socially, physically, emotionally, you fill in the blank. Last point, obey God to completion. So I have another question for you. Is it possible to reach the full potential of any project 
without completing it? No, it's not. And the Lord has given all of us projects in our lives to help him build his kingdom. But unfortunately, we see many examples in Scripture of godly people who did not finish what the Lord commanded them, and it cost them, and it's no different with us. Saul, Israel's first king, is an example of someone who did not tremble at God's word. Now, it wasn't always that way. Steve talked about King Solomon a couple weeks ago. He had all the wisdom in the world, but slowly ended up making bad decisions. And Saul and Solomon have a couple things, have a thing in common, and that's that the initial sign of losing holy fear is very subtle. We don't just wake up one day and we're completely off course. It happens in small degrees, and it starts with ignoring conviction on the small matters, and what happens is over time, we don't even realize that we've developed a pattern of disobedience. You wake up one day, for me, almost 20 years later, and I go, how in the world did I get to where I am now? Because you know what? If a plane is just off by yay much, the longer it travels, the further and further off courts it gets, and that plan ain't going to land nowhere where you thought it was going to land. Now, we all know, most of us know, the story of Saul in 1 Samuel. Saul was commanded to go and completely destroy the Amalekites, completely destroy the Amalekites. He took over 200,000 troops and wiped out everyone except... He captured the king, and he kept all the finest domestic animals. He only completed 99.999% of what he was supposed to do. And this was the Lord's response to Saul to his almost complete obedience. I'm sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and refused to obey my commands. 1 Samuel 15, 11. And the prophet Samuel goes up to him and says, Dude, what you have done is sin. It's lawlessness. It's rebellion. And the king goes, Well, I've, d- I've done all this because we're going to sacrifice this to the Lord. And the prophet says, What's more important, the fat of rams to sacrifice or your obedience? It's obedience. Most people would say, Well, Saul did pretty well. I mean, 99.9% completion, that's really good. The Lord should be reasonable. Why is he so focused on the little that he didn't do and not looking at all that he did do? Because almost complete obedience to the Lord is not obedience at all. Saul didn't complete what the Lord commanded because he lost his holy fear of the Lord. He did not tremble at his word. Think about this. What if Jesus only completed 99.9% of his mission? We mentioned it earlier. He knew what was going to happen leading up to and during the crucifixion. When the temple guard came to arrest, the disciples tried to stop and protect. And he said, don't you know, I can ask my Father in heaven to send a thousand angels and they'll be here immediately. But if I did that, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? Obedience to completion was paramount to Jesus. Worship team, you can come on up. 
And you know what? Jesus didn't have to go to the cross. For the wages of sin is death. There was no sin in him. He says, I lay down my life. I make the choice. And out of obedience to the Father, he was able to stretch out his arms and say to Telestai, it is finished, paid in full. And he gave up his last breath for you and for me and for all of mankind. Jesus has set the ultimate example for us to be able to fully obey and finish whatever God has entrusted to us, to finish our race well. And last point to ponder as the worship team comes up. Have I started to obey God's word, but then allowed distractions, resistance, disapproval of others, adversity of any kind to cause me to cease and not finish? I said it in the beginning, I don't think there's any of us that if we're gut level honest can say we do this perfectly because we don't, and that's okay. But if there are areas in your life today where you go, I've not been obeying immediately. I have not been obeying even though it doesn't make any sense. I have not been obeying because I don't see what's in it for me. I've not been obeying because I think it might hurt or I've only been partially obedient to the Lord this altar is open come up and ask the Lord Lord help me I need grace to be able to do this you know what grace yes we are saved by grace through faith alone but grace empowers us to do what we cannot do in our human nature I need grace to be obedient I need grace to love my wife. I need grace to minister to people. I can't do it without His grace. And it says if we come, we come humbly, but we come boldly to the throne of grace, we'll receive the mercy and help in our time of need. So come and seek Him this morning at this altar. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to worship. Father, I thank you for your word. And Lord, forgive us for half-hearted worship, half-hearted service, half-hearted obedience. Lord, we need grace to obey you. And I thank you that you freely give it. So Lord, we look to you today and seek your face for the grace that we so desperately need. In Jesus' name, amen. This altar is open. Come and worship. Come do business with the Lord. There'll be people to pray with you. Would you all stand as you're able, as we worship? We're going to be singing Alpha and Omega, which means he is the beginning and the end.
man of the world. We adore you, Jesus. Lord, we crown you. again recognize your holiness your might your wonder your power we don't ever want to leave without giving an opportunity because really our first act of obedience is accepting Christ as our personal Lord and Savior and trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone for the forgiveness of our sins Believing that he died on a cross, he rose from the grave, and his work on the cross pays our sin debt and purchases us a place in heaven, and it's offered as a free gift. So if you're here today and you would say, I've never taken that step of obedience and asked Christ to be my personal Lord and Savior, would you just pray with me? Say, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I've been sitting on the throne. I choose today to get off the throne and crown you as king in my life. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me. Wash me. Come into my life. And I trust in you and you alone for my eternal home heaven and I pray that and ask that in the name of Jesus amen if you prayed that prayer please come and see someone up here we'd love to help you go quietly thank you for worshiping with us today if you need prayer there'll be people up here make sure to pick up your children God bless have a good day Thank you for joining us online at Church of the Savior today. We hope you are encouraged to grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take your next step. Please visit our website for information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. There's also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can pray for you. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope to see you next week.